In this episode of Talking Heads, Evan and I will be talking to Tassie Levi about WebRTC. Hello, Evan. Where are you? You're on vacation. Where are you? I am in sunny Orlando where it's hot and it's about to get hotter as uh, we head to Singapore, which you went to Orlando for vacation. I mean, I mean, it's like the convention conference center of the world. and And that's where you decide to go on vacation. That's a good point. I may should I should have reconsidered my my options. Well, I don't I don't do the vacation thing when I'm here at you know Enterprise Connect. So it's a chance to go with the kid, the kiddo, to the parks and uh, you know that, enjoy, enjoy myself. That's a really good point because I yeah I I travel a lot and I go to all these different uh, exotic locations and people say oh I'm so jealous. It's like no, it's just a freaking hotel with a big room and no windows in it where we watch PowerPoints. It doesn't matter that it's in a great location or a tourist location. And speaking of which, we're, we're about to go to a hotel room in Singapore, which I understand the humidity level is off the charts. Do you have any tips for, uh, for working and uh, traveling to a location like that? An umbrella and a towel. Um, <laughs> when, you, when you go to a trip like this, this is a big trip, what do you do? Do you, do you, uh, do you, do you convert money ahead of time or do you just live on your credit cards? Is there any... Any uh, travel planning that you do? Yeah, I, I really like to think about contingency and having backup plans. You know, so I have two phones, two separate networks. So when I'm roaming, if God forbid I lose my phone or break my phone, I have another phone. I have a couple of IDs. You know, so if I something gets stolen, I have another ID. I have a really lightweight jacket, so if I'm caught in a downpour in Singapore, I can pull out the jacket. So just just silly stuff like that that um, uh, you never know traveling abroad what the hell is going to happen. And so having uh, having uh, some backup is, is always handy. I, I got a, a couple of travel hacks when I go international. and one, This is one of my favorite travel hacks. I, I carry a, um, a power strip that is certified for 220 power. So when I'm in a foreign country that has 220 power. And I use one power adapter on the power strip. And then all my U.S. stuff pretty much just plugs into that because most of my U.S. stuff, I have to double check, but your laptop, your cell phone, and, and, and a few other products that you may have, they all work with 220 natively. I plug in my one power strip into the 220 outlet, and then I've got all my U.S. plugs just going right into that. And, I, and that, that's completely simplified my electronics uh, uh, electrical needs. Yeah, and it's really, really good to have, you know, just a, a phone that's a no contract. You can plug a SIM into locally. So you get off the plane. If, if your roaming isn't working or it's really expensive, you can buy a local SIM and, and just plug it in. Something we don't really, sort of alien to us in the U.S., but everyone else does all the time. So it's the little things uh, like that, that that come in handy. Also letting people know you're there. You know, I, I, I'm connecting with a few people when I'm in Singapore who who I known over the years, um, you know, just just keeping in touch with people who might be on your LinkedIn network or Twitter followers, you know, it's good to to sort of network and when you're in a new place. Excellent. You know, we wouldn't have to do all this travel if we could use more video. So let's let's figure out what's going on in the state of video with our esteemed guest. Looking forward to it. So Evan, today we have with us on our audio podcast a video legend. 
uh, and I'm going to say his name wrong here, but it's the closest I can do. It's Tassie Levent Levi. How you doing, Tassie? I'm fine. Thanks, please, Dave. Please go ahead and introduce your name properly for our listening audience. Tassie Levent Levi. You see, that's much easier. That's uh, yeah. So so uh, and and you and, and you have an odd sounding name with sounds that we can't pronounce because you don't live in the U.S. No, I live in Israel uh, for all of my life, practically. Oh, very good. Uh, and they, they can say your name over there? Yes. It's actually a common name. Okay. But Dave, well, did, you, did you know that Evan means something in Hebrew? Did, did you know that? This is a little bit of trivia for the show. Does it mean Tassie? It, it means stone. So I am technically Stone Kerstel. Uh, very good. Uh, let me just properly introduce our, our guest here. As I, I said, he's a video legend, and and uh, that's because I met him back in the days of Rad Vision, just before uh, Via acquired and uh, acquired Rad Vision. And I think of Tassie very much as one of the foremost thought leaders in video technologies in general, particularly around WebRTC. And he has a fantastic blog site called Blog Geek. Uh, it's actually bloggeek.me. That's two G's in bloggeek. So how are you doing today, Tassie? Okay, great actually. And you've got you've got video on your mind still, or are you diversifying? It's not really video. It's communication as a whole. Uh, video oh, good takes answer. a big, good big, answer. Yes, well, video takes a big part of it, just because of my heritage, and it's probably the most complex part. Uh, but it's definitely not the only thing that I'm doing. So, Evan, did you get in on the uh, Zoom IPO? I did. I, I made $750 uh, profit <laughs> in, in the bank. So I am uh, I'm super excited. Although I did learn uh, that maybe Zoom doesn't use WebRTC, which is the big topic of, of discussion here. Is that, is that right, Tashi? Or, or what's your perspective yeah. on, on Zoom's technology? <clears throat> so as far as I know, they don't. They might use bits and pieces of the source code but they don't use WebRTC as a whole at the moment. So that, that's got to be a bit humbling because, you know, there's been so much excitement in, in, uh, around WebRTC for so many years, and here is one of the most spectacular IPOs out of the gate in the video space not using WebRTC. Do you have a, do you have a theory on this one? It's not really a theory. It's a matter of how things work, okay? Zoom started, what, seven, eight, nine years ago, right around where WebRTC started. It made no sense for them to use WebRTC then. Because of multitude of reasons, they built their own technology and stack. They had no reason to shift from what they are doing towards WebRTC up until today. And they still don't have a reason. So why should they? So that, what are reasons to switch to WebRTC? The first one is if you want to use a browser. That's the obvious one. If you want really good experience inside the browser, you can't use Zoom. For me at least, today, the process of going, installing, running, launching an application, it, it's clunky. It feels clunky. Uh, you can't embed it into websites properly. So there are a lot of things that you can't do if it's not inside the browser. So that's the first reason to use WebRTC. If you want an experience inside the browser that has interactive video or real-time or live video streams, WebRTC is the way to go. The second reason is, let's, start, let's say that you're starting today. Okay? You have, theoretically, three different alternatives. The first one is you're going to go and buy yourself a media engine. For those that don't know, WebRTC is a media engine. 
It's a piece of technology that allows me to take voice and video in real time, process them, encode them, okay, compress the hell out of them, and then send it over the network and be able to receive it on the other side and play it back, all in real time. So that's a media engine. I can go and just purchase the commercial media engine from someone and pay money for it. I can build my own media engine, or I can use WebRTC for free. Now, if I'm starting today, which one of these alternatives would I pick, especially if considering that everyone but Zoom is using WebRTC already? If you want to go and find you know, reasons why to use that, well, oh, Facebook uses that, and Google uses that, and Microsoft and Skype are starting to use that. And wherever you, you know, throw the stone and check, are these guys using it? The answer would be yes. So you can't go wrong by choosing WebRTC. And even if you go and make the academic decision, it's still probably the best approach for the, the majority of the use cases out there today. Now, and when you say the use cases, are you referring specifically to video? Because WebRTC could also be used for audio. No, I don't, I don't care if it's video or audio. For both, it's the first thing I would look at. Are there any particular services that you, uh, that you could point to as a, as a poster child for WebRTC technologies? So for a long time, the poster child was probably Appearin, appear.in. Now, the funniest thing for most intent and purposes and for a lot of the use cases that people use Zoom for, you can use Appearin as well. It just works. Okay, uh, there is Jitsi, Jitsi Meet, also out there and free, similar to Google Hangouts, in how it operates and what it feels like. And Facebook Messenger uses WebRTC. Okay, that's a known fact. Hi, Slack Hi uses WebRTC. Yes, High Five. Uh, BlueJeans uses WebRTC. Um, Logitech uses WebRTC. All of the 100 million ARR. Um, um, they are my companies that just you know announced that they use WebRTC. Um, House Party uses WebRTC, and they started as a mobile-only application. There is now you know, mobile and web, but, but they started as mobile-only, and they decided to use WebRTC. So, so that, I'm glad you brought up mobile because mobile confuses me. One of the one of the big benefits of WebRTC, of course, is the browser-based communications, but that but all the mobile applications seem to re still require an app. Is there, is there such a thing as browser-based or a thin client uh, voice or video services in a mobile, in the mobile environment? Yes. yes, definitely. It's not about the technology, it's about the use case. Okay, think about it. Google Meet is something that you are supposed to be using daily. Okay, and if you're supposed to use it daily, Today, the way we consume our applications on a mobile device is almost always inside apps. It's not through the browser. You don't, I open the browser on my phone, but that's in order to consume news because I don't want to put news apps on my device. I see. Okay, now, I'll, I'll tell you a small secret. I don't know about Google Meet. I'm assuming that's true for that, but for Google Hangouts, if you open Hangouts inside a Chrome browser on a phone, it will work. Okay, interesting. Well, I was going to ask, you know, what's next with WebRTC? Are we going to get into augmented reality or virtual reality or, or telepresence kind of scenarios? Because, you know, video conferencing now is, is, is seems like old hat now that we have standards and, and implementations in place. Like, what, what are you thinking about over the next three years? 
uh, Tashi, in so, terms of video? So WebRTC, at least today, has come to a point where we're talking about WebRTC 1.0 since 2005. And we <laughs> probably are going to see WebRTC actually getting to 1.0 this year. So we have a specification that started to be established, and we have a lot of companies that are already adopting it without caring too much if we go to this 1.0 position. Now, once we will get there, there are already discussions in the standardization organization, in W3C especially, around what's the next version of WebRTC, what goes on in there. And they are actively collecting ideas. So if people have ideas, a place to go for that would be the W3C. Okay, the things that are there today are usually are revolving around three main themes. The first one is machine learning, okay, in a sense of I don't know exactly what we can do with machine learning and WebRTC, but what we want to do is open up and expose the different layers in WebRTC so people can inject their machine learning anywhere within the pipeline. The place that is always looked at is, well, let's do silly hats. Let's remove the background, things like that. The second one is um, for augmented reality. There is a real problem with ORTC today. Okay, ORTC has three different streams, audio, video, and data. Data is arbitrary. I can say whatever I want. Now, audio and video, I can synchronize. So I can get lip sync and I can know, or I can take multiple video streams even and make sure that they run in sync at the same time but I can't sync the video stream with the data channel. So if I'm doing augmented reality and I want to show you something on the video stream, okay, it won't be aligned per frames. So there will be a skew, a bit of a skew between the audio and the, the video and the data. So they're looking at fixing that. Uh, another area, uh, just you know, a lot of stupid minor bugs fixes or additional use cases. Um, then there is doing end-to-end -end security within an SFU. I'm doing a multi-party group call, okay? In multi-party video calls today, what happens is the server needs to get the video streams from everyone, and then it distributes them the way it needs to be sent. WebRTC is secured today point-to-point, -point, but point-to-point -point from one device to another, or one device to a media server. And what we want to do is to add another encryption layer so that I can send stuff to a server, and whereas the server can manage the call, it can't look at the actual media inside that call. And that's for <clears throat> sessions that I want them more secure than others. So that would be end-to-end -end encryption inside WebRTC. Um, these are the main things. So there is the WebAssembly part of how do I inject stuff, machine learning, and other things within WebRTC, or remove and replace pieces with things that I want. If there is augmented reality, frame-by-frame uh, -frame synchronization with data, and then there is the added encryption. These are the main things that they work on, or they will work on in the next level. So, so as, these, as these technologies become standards, uh, what happens to the video business? And so, so um, like for example, let's look at uh, two different use cases. Uh, Fuse recently redid their video technologies and they built it themselves. So I don't have any details on that, but I assume they use it with the open source type of technologies that they built their solution out, probably with WebRTC. Um, 8x8 did the exact same thing, 
but instead of building it from just open source, they actually went out and acquired Jitsi. And so, so what is what is the business model of video if it's free? Why would companies one uh, use services like Eight by Eight or or Fuse or you know WebEx or Zoom if you could just do it for free? And then secondly, why would companies like Eight by Eight or Fuse um, uh, not just build things from scratch? Well, first of all, you can't really use video for free. You can in the same way that you can do, that you can do a lot of things for free up until the point that you need it for something very specific. Okay, I pay, for example, for a meeting these days because I need the ability to do webinars. I want to record specific sessions, audio and video, and things like that. So I'm paying for a service to do the things that I specifically need. There are free services out there. They make money out of their premium uh, you know, experiences, like Appearing has Appearing Pro, as an example, okay? Or they make money by selling themselves or customization work that they do around it and just showcase the technology within the service. <clears throat> um, now, why add it? Think about 8x8, for example, or even Ring Central or you know, Vonage or whoever. They have a solution, a new customer solution, unified communications. It includes today voice, messaging, and well, voice and messaging. Now, what would they, they do? Would they go and let their customers pay for Zoom, or would they just add it into the same per seat price or increase the price a bit to make a bit more money out of the seats? Okay, it's something that they need to add because you assume or you it's something that is expected of them to be part of the package. Okay, we used to buy phones that do voice only, and then they did voice and SMS, and SMS was priced by the message, and then messages became unlimited, and then you could pay for data. <clears throat> and now you first think about data, and well, you know, I can do calls, but I don't care. It's not what I'm looking my phone, looking for a phone to do. So the way people use communication changes as well, and with it, the companies that offer that as a service. So Fuse, 8x8, and all of these companies need to add video as part of the offering that they have. It won't be 100% of the users today that will use video calls for everything. I don't use video calls for everything. But they use it just enough, so I don't want a separate application for that. One thing I'm really obsessed with is 5G uh, as a user and... and uh and have clients in this space. Do you think 5G is, is going to be a, a big boost for video applications or where it's just going to be a better, faster network of sorts? You, you think there's going to be a game-changing effect with ubiquitous 5G over the next couple, three years? I'm, I'm with the same uh, feelings and thoughts as uh, Collins, who writes on Talking Heads from time to time. I think 5G is going to be useless for humans at least on the get-go, so don't expect anything interesting out of 5G for the three to five years from now. Well, you, well, you, really, know, you, you really know how to burst a guy's bubble here. Yeah, you said humans, and so that excludes Evan, so he's still inside. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It, I think that it's, first of all, my understanding that it needs, it requires line of sight, and a lot more processing power and chips, radios, than 4G requires. So it will take time to stabilize. You'll need a lot more towers for that, and you'll need to not close your windows. 
I can do that in Israel probably if I don't want air conditioning, which I do want air conditioning. And I'm not sure about where you live. Um, so I, I don't see it as a game changer, not for consumers. Okay, the funniest thing is that AT&T is already selling 5G, which isn't 5G, but is not as good as 4G from other carriers in the US as far as I understand. So you see a lot of <clears throat> marketing around 5G. How much of it is reality? Probably not a lot. Not today, at least. You're far too practical. Don't, don't ever go into marketing, uh, Natasha, <laughs> I must say, because you might, you might last about a day. But I mean, one, one application I'm, I'm really optimistic about here in the U.S., and even actually more outside the U.S. in developing countries, uh, is, is telehealth, telemedicine. I mean, you must see that in Israel, the ability to have a doctor's consultation or to do remote diagnostics or patient monitoring or other apps. What are you, what are you seeing there as, as, as a game changer? So I have clients in the healthcare space, especially in Israel, uh, or a few in Israel, but not only. <clears throat> in Israel, for example, two things happened. First of all, the largest HMO in Israel, healthcare organization, uh, is actually using telehealth for a few years now. They started with Zoom and then they threw it out the window. And the system integrator that maintains and manages their whole contact center built the solution over OverTC on his own. <clears throat> for the last three years, you could have just called get a doctor to see you or your kids in the evening outside of office hours, okay? Uh, in a video call with WebRTC without installing anything on a mobile device. That's for you, Dave. So they didn't have an app, only on iOS, but for Android, there was no app. They sent an SMS with the link, you opened the link, it opened the, the browser, and there you saw the doctor. <clears throat> so you see a lot of that doctor visitations. Um, there are scenarios where one doctor would want to consult to another, especially to get into rural areas. So in Israel, the Ministry of Health started such a pilot now, after going to a large RFP, RFQ for this project. <clears throat> and they're connecting the different hospitals in Israel to be able to get specialists towards you know, assisting other doctors, which is also interesting. Uh, you see a lot in the U.S. around HIPAA compliance. There, it's mostly startups. So a lot of startups in this space trying to build applications for the doctors, for the patients, for the insurance, you know, all of these different mix and match. Um, and then there are the interesting companies. I think there is AMC or AMD in the U.S., and in Israel, there is TitoCare. And these are companies that build devices, and these devices collect data from, you know, it's like thermometer and things like that. It collects data, but can also stream video and audio directly from the person. Um, so you see these devices connecting to OverTC, either directly or through a machine or through a PC or a mobile phone or whatever. Um, so yes, lots of activity there. You know, I went to the, uh, in last December, I went to um, a telehealth uh, conference uh, organized by video, and one of the takeaways I got there, I, 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 forget, I forget who said it, but they're really trying to stop using the term telehealth. They said that, you know, health is telehealth now. You know, there's there's no reason to kind of separate it anymore. Healthcare has changed, and and uh, they had they had use cases from, from, you know, children's hospitals, from paramedics, from special specialists to 
you know, all, all the way through the entire, you know, uh, medical ecosystem. And it was, uh, it's impressive how far uh, uh, video has penetrated into the uh, healthcare industry. Um, yes, you have also use cases like, uh, I, you know, uh, translation. I want live a live translator for a specific patient or um, psychiatrist, psychologist, group therapy. Yeah. Well, help us identify what the key components are of WebRTC. Go, go ahead and help us with that first. Okay, so I think <clears throat> there are three different pieces for something like that when it comes to WebRTC, okay? There is signaling, how exactly I'm going to reach out to you and find you and start the session. Then there's the codex. I get the media from the microphone, the, you know, the microphone and the camera. I want to play it back on a speaker or a display. <clears throat> so there's the codec, encoder and decoder, which compresses media or decompresses media. And then there's the transport. How do I send that over a network or receive it on the network? And around that, there are a lot of algorithms that are there to, let's say, improve or correct media. There is noise suppression, echo cancellation, and, and adaptive uh, game control, and a lot of other acronyms that can be used in a call, in, you know, in, sorry, within the session. Um, in, in WebRTC, the interesting is that it's only the media engine. So you get the codecs transporting the data over the network and all of the algorithms. There is no signaling. There is no I reach to you. When we first met and I was in Radvision, the way to do signaling was H323. That's how you signal stuff. Since then, it's changed, and today it's mostly C. No definition of how that is done. <clears throat> but then Facebook uses MQTT, which is actually an IoT protocol for signaling. Okay? And what happened with WebRTC is they decided not to decide. They said, you know what? We don't care. Use whatever it is that you want. You want C? Use C. You have your own because it's a dating site and people are already chatting. Use whatever is already there. So RTC has no single signaling. It leaves that off to the developers, but it puts the only restriction, at least in the browser, that signaling must be encrypted. So it must go over either HTTPS or a secure WebSocket. And then there's different flavors of WebRTC as well. Uh, we, you mentioned Jitsi earlier. There's, there's Janus. Um, what, what, are, what are these different, are these frameworks? What, what are these? It's not flavors, it's media, media servers, sorry. Okay, <clears throat> now WebRTC comes and now I have a media engine that sits inside the browser or inside my mobile application, that's great. But I need to build the whole infrastructure around that. So one thing that I need is an application server to run the application, a signaling server to deal with the signaling. And then I need a turn server for not traversal. Okay, because media don't necessarily goes point to point. It might need to go through a server and gets relayed, depending on how firewalls are configured. Sorry for starting to complicate stuff. Okay, and then there is media servers. I want to record the call. I want to gateway to PSTN. I want to do a group call. All of these things require a media server to process media. And for that, you have both open source and commercial solutions. And the open source ones that are known are Jitsi, Janus, MediaSoup, and Kurento. These are the four most known or publicly known open source media servers. Where did WebRTC come from and who gets credit? Because a lot of people say it came from Google. Uh, 
Now, I, I think the Opus codec actually came from Microsoft. Is that, I, so where, where did it come from? Well, Opus is a codec, WebRTC is a media engine. These are two different things, okay? Within WebRTC, you can decide which codecs to use. A decision was made in the get-go to use two audio codecs in WebRTC. G711, because we need something common that works even if it breaks. And G711 is like the worst thing you can use. And the second decision was let's use a single audio codec and not 20 different ones, because every video conferencing endpoint, you know, room system has about 20 audio codecs and, and at the end of the day use only one. So what they did, they decided to pick the best one at the time, which was Opus. On the video side, they decided to go at the end with VP8H264. Google added VP9 as well, and the next one will be AV1. But now WebRTC itself, as a whole, came from Google. Google acquired uh, two companies, Gips and um, Onto. Gips got it the media engine and all of the audio technologies, and Onto gave it VP7 and then VP8, and from there VP9. This is a more technical podcast we normally have. AV1 has been described to me as effectively the next generation, not the next version, the next generation of WebRTC. What do you think of that? There are two things that are wrong there, the word next and the word WebRTC. AV1, when they went out and AV1 is a new video codec, next generation video codec, it will be part of WebRTC. It's not going to replace WebRTC. It's going to replace VP8, VP9, and H.264 in WebRTC. So you'll be able to use AV1 instead of any of those. It is better, faster, takes more CPU, it's more memory than any other video codec in the world today. Uh, there is no hardware encoding yet available, you know, so it's really, really new. Now, the great thing about AV1, when they came out with it, there was something called the Alliance of Open Media that was created, I think, three or four years ago. When that happened, I was shocked. I didn't, I, I didn't believe that they would succeed to do what they've done and definitely not where they are today. When they started, they brought into the table Microsoft, Google, um, Mozilla, Facebook, Intel, Amazon, and Cisco, all of them to build a codec, and they called them the Alliance of Open Media. And they started working on AV1. Now, two or three years down the road, that group includes also Apple, Samsung, ARM, NVIDIA, and 30 other companies. The only vendor that is not there today is Qualcomm, as far as I know. Out of all of the companies that have interest in video coding. So yes, this is going to be the next video codec, and it is going to be royalty-free. How do you stay so current on all this stuff being so far away? Isn't, isn't all these decisions being taking place uh, with Google and Microsoft and, and uh, behind closed doors in the US? Probably. Uh, I don't have direct access to them. I really read a lot. A lot of my day goes into reading things that happen in the industry and then going and sniffing around and asking questions, either vendors or people or developers that I work with and know uh, to get current in what happens. I'm also, at least from the beginning of this year, I have, I have a new title. I'm the W3C evangelist for everything that is related to WebRTC. Wow, so congratulations. That's, that's quite a... Uh interesting, innovative role. Yes, I have no clue what that means. I, I know a bit, but you know, we'll see what that means. But back, back to the actual question, um, <clears throat> the one about distance. At the end of the day, the funny thing is most of my customers are in the West Coast. 
And because a lot of the interactions are around communications and video or voice only, it seems that it's easy for the people that I need to work with to interact and work remotely with someone that is on a different continent. So like, you know, Dave knows that he can reach me at weird hours and usually reaches me at his weird hours, which is my mornings, which sometimes seem weird. Uh, but I'm usually available at most hours of the day. Um, not sure why. It was always like that. We were talking about Zoom earlier, and Eric, uh, the uh, CEO of Zoom, he doesn't travel. He limits his business travel to two trips a year and usually doesn't even make, make two. And it astounds me that he could be a CEO of uh, you know, a communications business like this, uh, considering how much travel I do, how much, how much travel Evan does. Uh, that he that he gets away with that, and I asked him about that. He says, "I run a video company. If you need to talk to me, use video." And it's like, well, that's pretty darn obvious. Evan, yeah, do you think do you think that our travel will decline? Uh, maybe not. I mean, not personally, but uh, our travel in this industry. Do you think that'll decline as as video seems to be going through a skyrocket right now? I don't think so. I, I think um, you know we're seeing a fragmentation, so events are getting smaller, more intimate, and. Um, person to person is as important as ever and video is only supplementing it. So unfortunately I, I don't see that on the radar, but, uh, but video is hot. I mean, uh, for, for 10 years I've been hearing, uh, video is the new voice. And I think it's finally true. Uh, it was a pretty major theme at enterprise connect and we seem to be in this, um, tide is rising all ships or something because, you know, life size uh, just reported record sales. Logitech uh, was it? It was Blue Jeans recorded record sales. So two companies that recorded you know record sales. Logitech has been consistently uh, blowing out the numbers with uh, every every quarter. They're a public company and and crediting video for a lot of that. Uh, it was the it was the key theme of of several keynotes at Enterprise Connect. Meetings and video were were key to Google, Microsoft, and Cisco. Uh, presentations and even Amazon, who I did not expect to talk about video, uh, made announcements during their keynote about video and uh, and video. Well, I think I think what's changing is 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 not so much video adoption, which of course is rising, but the, the the way people are working, you know, remote work, distributed work, teamwork, collaboration, remote workers, tele, you know, tele everything. So I think that's what's what's driving all of things. this. There's two more things. The first one is the technology is getting better. There's no denying that. And the second one, I look at my kids. They're eight years old and 11 years old. They're on the phone all the time. And they use it in, they use video. But they use video of themselves as well. They create videos. They interact with video all day long. They, I, you know, I can decide today when I'm abroad to call my daughter. And I usually do it on Hangouts because I know she has that on her phone or WhatsApp or whatever. And she will just answer and she will you know, see me and it will be natural to her. She won't see it as anything interesting, innovative or, whoa, here's daddy. No, it's like, hey, hi. And that's it. So they, it's part of their life, their life already. So when they will hit the workforce, it won't be a question of, you know, is video important or needed or whatever. No, it's just there. Yeah, they find it a lot more natural. You, you find the older folks get really uh, freaked out about their hair and their, you know, their, their, if they're, if they're, if they're ready for video, presentable for video. It's like we're in a business conference room. Why, why would you not be ready for video? But, but uh, there, there's much more of a hang up 
with uh, older folks uh, than there are with the younger kids. They don't... Pre- present company excluded, Dave. I wouldn't call you older, uh, but. Uh, well, you know, I, I but the, the gambler takes away 10 years. <laughs> with me, it adds 10 pounds. So that's weird. Tassie, you've been, you've been in video your pretty much your whole career. So you, 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 you've noticed that this, this, uh, this peak is happening. Yes. Now, for, for me, it's different. Um, besides being a consultant, I also opened the company about three years ago called TestRTC, where we do testing and monitoring for RTC-based services. Okay? Now, here's the thing. I don't travel a lot, and I'm doing most of the sales cycles at the moment, and we got large, really large companies to become our customers just by doing these calls over the Internet. And the fact, again, that I can run a small business of a startup and be engaged with large customers, you know, yes, video is happening and it's it's fine to use it. All right, Tassie, you get that now. It's time for the obligatory question that all of our guests get, um, which is uh, the next big thing you're going to be spending a lot of money on. What what are you saving up for? Well, here's the problem. My daughter is twelve, and that's bat mitzvah age here in Israel. And it started by telling her that she can either decide on a trip with her mother somewhere to Europe or to renovate her room or to do a large party with friends. And now guess what we're doing? All three. Almost. We're doing all three, but it's not her and her mother going abroad. It's the whole family as well. So well, when, when, you, after, when, you said, when you said that you gave your daughter some choices and the first choice was a trip with her mother. I was assuming the second trip, the second cho- choice was a trip with her father, which was a, a terrible thing to do to your daughter. But, um, uh, but, but that, that sounds like, uh, that, that is, that is a good time. That, that, that the, the, the bar mitzvah ceremony is, uh, uh, it's supposed to be about the kid, but it's, it's actually a, you know, a really big deal for the whole family. And, and, uh, that's an exciting period. So, uh, I understand that, uh, uh, that is the end of your answer for what you're spending your money on because that will consume just about everything. Thank you. We look forward to seeing it on a live stream. I expect you to live stream the whole event for us. Which 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 of the three events? The renovation of the room? Uh, I think the bat mitzvah is, will be more fun. You know, you get the whole uh, musical side. I think you should do the streaming of the ceremony, and I want to. I want you to use one of those services that has live captioning and translation, so that the Torah portion I can follow along with in, uh, in English. Um, now there is. It's this is for the daughter, so there is no Torah portion. It's just a party. Just a party. Oh. yes. The, when my son hits thirteen for his bar mitzvah, that's going to be different. That's you know the whole different ball game. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking your taking time out of your, I assume, evening uh, w- with us on this uh, this this uh, Talking Heads podcast. And thank you for being a, a avid supporter of our podcast. I know that you've often chimed in and on Twitter and commented back on different things you've heard. So thanks for having me. Thanks, Ash. Some kind of conversation Bye.